previously on Just Cow in the City. How is that even possible? Nobody should have six kids anymore. If I need an hour and a half, sweetie, don't even think about hiring me. Oh, look, it's a real jury with people and everything. Vote for L. I'm an Applebee's Jersey kind of guy. What the hell's going on here? Where's the goddamn apple cider? Yo quiero taco, man. Hoping that everybody's just on board with whatever it is I do, huh? Of course it's haunted. Hotcha! Just got in the city. Everybody's here looking good and pretty. Been down, isn't it a pity? Trying to make things looking bright and chippy. All around, people seem crazy. Walking around trying not to be lazy. But at night, it's a different place. Making it work in your own space. Come on, come on and dance all night. I'm here each week, it'll be alright. Cause it's just out in the city. Cause it's just out in the city. Cause it's just out in the city. Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode, another exciting episode of Just Cow in the City. When I say exciting, not very exciting, but what's the difference? We're all together and having a good time. It is May 31, the final day of May, the beginning, the unofficial beginning of summer, the Tuesday after Memorial Day weekend. Hello everybody and I hope you're having a wonderful summer so far, even though on the East Coast here, or at least in the New York City tri-state area, as we call it. It has been a shitty weekend. It is raining and gross, and uh, who cares? I guess uh, at this point, as long as it's not cold for me, even though I normally do like the cold weather, as long as I'm inside, <laughs> right, or I'm dressed appropriately, then who cares? But if I'm underdressed, because you know you're going to tell me it's like 70 degrees going outside, but then when I get out, you know, two in the morning somewhere, it's 50 degrees. Well, screw that. But that's all unimportant. Yes, it is a crappy day in New York City recording on Saturday, May 28th, coming out Tuesday, May 31st. Oh, look at me. I'm having a good time already. And I woke up early this morning because I got to try because uh, I don't want to say big announcement, but it is a big announcement, I guess. Not for anybody in a normal capacity of what I do and who my friends are, but uh, yeah, I got, I got that job. I actually have a job. I got a job. I got that stupid job at a law firm. Everybody's like, oh, congratulations. I'm like, shut up. Even the recruiter's like, hey, I got great news. I'm like, oh, crap. I got that job, didn't I? I knew I was too charming. God damn it. But you know what? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Been fooling around for three years. I guess you get what you deserve. I didn't, uh, I didn't plan ahead. So the important thing is to get myself out of the financial hole so you guys don't have to hear about it anymore and we can move on and just have good times. Am I right? The hours are so strange. Saturday to Wednesday, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. What the fuck? Who has hours like that? I think the only reason I took it because I'm like, well, I'm always home on Saturdays anyway. Sundays will probably suck because, you know, usually that's my day I watch TV until about 4 o'clock. Ugh. Which I can do both because I'll be working at home. And then Monday through Wednesday, I got to go to the office. I got to go to the office. Do you know what I mean? I got to buy clothing. I mean, I, I don't even have proper clothing for the past three years. I mean, uh, I, I got to buy clothing. I mean, what the hell? What? I'm really pissed about that. But what can I do? What can I do? Got to relax, right? Everybody's like, hey, you'll be in it for a while. But I told you, you know, my trepidation about it is like, well, 20 years later, you know, when I'm 100, 
I'll be that old man working. Well, I uh, I've been working here at least thirty years. I came in here uh, bright, uh, you know, uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed in twenty twenty-two, and I never left. It, it's been a wonderful firm, and uh, the, the the things we can do here. It's um yeah, it's really annoying. There's nothing. There's not a goddamn thing I can do about it until I start teaching, which is fine. That's in January, right? That'll be fun. So I got to look forward to that. That's going to be awesome, and that'll be cool, and I can probably do both, I think. So, I mean, I'm not planning to just, I mean, after all this time and all these years I've been working, I have pretty much been always trying, whereas at first, when I first got my job, I was like, oh, my God, I got to get the job that's going to get me out of here. And then over the years, I learned to do the stuff while I was working, you know, to organize, like like I said, the classic example, you get a, a, a spot on an HBO show, you know, on, on, on Crashing we're talking about, and I still went to work the day before I shot it, whereas most people were like, oh, I need the whole day off. I have to mentally prepare. I'm like, who am I kidding? If I can uh, work and get in the time and not lose a day, then why not do it? And that's the role you get into once you kind of figure it out, once you realize, well, I don't think there's going to be any job where I'm going to be like, well... I'll see you guys later. It's been fun. So unless somebody shoves me out like they did at my last job, I'll probably be there forever. Who the hell knows? What are you going to do? I'm like, you know, looking forward to structure and a schedule again, I guess, in one format. And then, of course, you know, the waking up early. Oh, my God. I told you I haven't set an alarm clock in three years. And the only time I did was to go to the beach. So, and maybe for her to wake up for a funeral. I mean, that's about it. So I was practicing today. I set the alarm for 7 a.m. What? I know everybody usually has to do that, but not. I've never done it before. And uh, it was exciting, right? But look, I'm ready to go. I got some coffee. Everything's good. It's just there's a lot of freaks outside this early in the morning. I don't like it. A lot of homeless people, not homeless people, like weirdos, not, well, maybe they're homeless. I don't know. But weirdos out from the night before when you you know walking around around seven o'clock in the morning, it, it just it looks like you walk outside in New York City and it looks like oh my god this there must have been a major party going on. It looks every time I walk out on I don't know whether this I think it's always on Saturday mornings. I guess that's the only time I get out early. It looks like New Year's Eve in Times Square is just finished. There's garbage all over the place, but that's I think because the garbage truck always comes through on Saturday mornings. I mean, I'm I'm looking at them now going down the street. They, they were here a half hour ago. They always come early and pick up the recyclables. But you know how garbage men are. They, they leave so much garbage on the street. It's not their fault. They just pick up the bags. People throw shit on a pile of bags. Some of the bags are broken into by rats. So it, it's like just the place looks like it's been, you know, just a, there's been a major New Year's Eve party as soon as you walk outside. And it usually smells, especially in this weather. God, I got a headache yesterday, I think from the high humidity. Yeah, I'm guessing. I mean, it's it's humid. And that's always, but that's the problem. We, you know, no spring, no spring, no spring at all. This, I mean, I know that they've said that's a thing of the past, but it's not. There's only been cold weather. And then it's been hot and humid, and that's exactly what's happening this weekend. No spring, no like nice seventy degree days. Just doesn't happen anymore, I guess. You just have to hope that you have perfect summer days, I guess. I that must be a global warming thing for sure.
So that's the story. Now I have like four jobs all of a sudden out of nowhere. I I mean, I told you, I knew things would turn around eventually. So now I have like this new regular people job. I have the, uh, you know, I write the articles and uh, I have the TBS job. I'm also working with my cousin on like this website. You know who I'm working with? I, I didn't know who the person was, but my sister, my the kids and everybody seems to know but me. I'm an old man, I guess. Um, is Phoebe Bridgers? She's a, a, a musical, a musician, a singer songwriter, I guess. I'm working with her mother on a project. I, I, what? I don't understand it either. And then you know, I'm talking to people, and they're like, "Oh, didn't you hear? She's opening for the Rolling Stones this year." I'm like, "What? Who the hell? What? What are you talking about?" Apparently, her mother is a comic. That that, that this that she just can't be good, right? I mean. Isn't, it, isn't the mother trying too hard? I, I I feel like it's like, I don't know. I don't know. She seems okay, I guess. I don't know. I'm worried, but I'm not that worried. Um, but, uh, you know, it's good to be uh, busy and working on stuff again. And then, uh, you know, then I'll be teaching and stuff. So, you know, trying to pick up the slack of the, um, the mess that was COVID that kind of destroyed me. Speaking of which, yesterday. Oh, so yesterday... I go to meet my sister in Newark, Newark, New Jersey, <sighs> you know, where Ray Liotta, the late Ray Liotta was born, and we'll talk about him in a second, and that was, that was depressing, but let me just tell you this first, I go to Newark, Newark, New Jersey, you know, where my cousin has the, the where the devils are, oh, this place is just, this isn't like Bushwick, Newark has been known, it, nobody's saying Newark is up and coming, no one, and this place is just Maybe one of the worst places ever, really, ever. I mean, it's up there with the worst place in America, you know? I think there's Patterson, New Jersey, which might be worse, and there's Newark, you know? So it's, it's, that's, that's the one flaw with going to the Devil's Games. It's not horrible. You come out of the train, you just walk up to the place. It's pretty close, and that's nice and clean over there. But otherwise, it's scary, and my sister, where I was going to meet her, we were just meeting. We were thinking about, she was getting, you know, my niece uh, goes to school there. So we we're all just getting together for a second. And um, I'm like, you know what? I'll take the train there because I don't want to drive there because driving there is horrible. And I took the train and my sister gave me the wrong address because she said meet on Market Street. But she didn't know it was West Market Street. And there's a major difference. So I'm sitting out there waiting for her. And I thought. I was. I thought she set me up to get beaten up because she had had like that time I didn't let Billy sleep over my apartment. I really thought I was being had because where she told me to meet her is like right out of the movies. It's it was terrifying. The building was abandoned. The, bu- the building address she gave me was completely abandoned. I'm like, you're getting dental work done here. This this is this is worth spending an extra thousand dollars on whoever you're using. I mean, it was so scary. I I didn't take a picture. I was afraid to take out my my phone. Uh, you know, so I, I took pictures of uh, later when um, I was uh, at the devil's place. I took a picture of the building, They which, again, they closed. I was like, maybe we get lunch at Dinosaur Barbecue. Well, that's closed. Most of the restaurants are closed there. COVID did that. And if, it, if Newark had any chance of being something... COVID ruined that. And then there's a building there, like free rental, or not free rentals, you know, rentals. And it would be funny to, that's where I have to move. I mean, if you see this play to live there, 
Yes. Do I have uh, complete access to if I work at the Prudential Center, then it's brilliant and yet still not brilliant at the same time because you would not want to leave that house at nighttime. I mean, just, oh, my God. It's terrifying. It's terrifying because, you know, if you get that poor, like I almost was, it, it, it you know, or, or at least, I mean, I had some friends that could help me out a little, but if you don't have those kind of friends and you're just poor, I mean, and if you have to move there, it's it's terrifying. I mean, it's really, really bad. And... I must have gone through, I had already had bad dreams knowing I was going there about people, but I must have gone to two people like, this is in the daytime at 1130 in the morning. People are like, can I talk to you for a minute? Hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And I'm like, and it's just, usually if somebody's asking for money or something, I just go, I'm sorry, no. But it was just, it was one after the other. I didn't want to go into my pocket. You know, it's like sometimes I'll have money ready there's a homeless guy in my block when I'm heading to the Dunkin' Donuts. He's very nice. He's not in your face. So sometimes I'll have some money ready for him. Um, but, you know, you don't want to dig into your pocket and not be ready with a couple of singles. Should, like Then they see you're like, well, let me look through my $100 bills and see if I have something I can give you. That's a, I'm sorry, buddy. All I got is 100 But I'll catch you next time. So that's one of the reasons I usually don't give money because uh, I'm afraid to go into my pocket and stuff. You know, there is something wrong with my recording equipment. I can hear it now going louder. There's something going in and out. And I got to figure out what that is. I'm sorry. I don't mean to take away from this podcast gold. Anyway, um, so then when I go back home, I'm on the sub, I'm on the train platform to go back to the city and two people are there like, hey, can you can you help me out? Hey, can you get me a bus ticket? I, I mean, it's like on the platform where you can't even stand and wait for uh, a train because it, it, there's there's people. I mean, it's just it's a it's a horrible place. It's worse than New York City, which is usually the you know the center of that kind of stuff. No, it was awful, really awful, and obviously you feel a little bad, but it's also a little scary because you just don't know what these guys are up to. And it's funny, I took a picture too. I was on the train and I saw one of the guys that was kind of harassing me. And he's definitely, you know, I assume he's homeless. I mean, you just assume. Um, but he's, you know, they all got cell phones now. <laughs> Who are their wireless carriers? Um, I mean, I took a picture. The guy's got a cell phone in his back pocket. I Listen, I have a cell phone too when I was out of money and I could have asked people for money. But it, it's just funny. How do you keep up your payments? Who's paying for you? Do you have family? And could you stay with them if necessary? I guess. I don't know. Because I was so close to living that lifestyle, I guess I was thinking about it more. But Newark sucks. And that's the uh, most important thing is that you know that. But I think everyone knows that. I think everybody in America knows that. So that's where Ray Liotta was born. And so was my mother and my father. And his father before him and his father before... No, everybody was born in Newark. I mean, I don't know what the hell's up with Newark and why it's so uh, such a great place to give birth. <laughs> it's, it's the worst. And it's so funny when I think of my stupid uncle from Kentucky and uh, he would just talk about how him and my mom used to take these long walks in Newark. I'm like, what are you, out of your goddamn mind? But of course, back in the 30s and 40s, it was a little bit different. Anyway, this Ray Liotta really kind of hit me hard a little bit. So I always really liked Ray Liotta. And I liked him way before Goodfellas. Like, he was a guy I was always rooting for because my friend Lawrence and I went to go see uh, Something Wild 
a long time ago, and well, I guess in the eighties. And I remember we saw it, and we're like, the villain in this is so good. Ray Liotta, we had never seen him before, and he was so good in the movie. He was so terrifying and scary that it it made the movie. You know, the movie wouldn't work without him. He was so terrifying and scaring, and that was his whole throughout his entire career. That's what he did. Ray Liotta was terrifying and scaring, but in a really good acting way. And then later, you know, he became funny too, like Joe Pesci. You know, in a way. I mean, he's not as I don't know. I don't know whether he's as good an actor as Joe Pesci, but but he was he would do funny parts, really funny parts. And so I remember I was always rooting for him and just I would see really anything he's in. Ironically, though, I never saw Field of Dreams because I just I don't maybe I just was down on Kevin Costner at that point. I've never seen it and I just didn't care. And I remember the ads going like, I am so not interested in this. I can't I don't like sports movies. I think the problem was this is in 1989. I don't like sports movies because you can't gamble on them. So I don't like anything with sports movies. The only one I watch is, and I had trouble watching it, but I went to the movies to go see it, was The Water Boy. And I thoroughly enjoyed that, and I enjoy watching that again and again. But otherwise, sports movies are not for me because, you know, I just, I watch a lot of live sports, so I don't like movies about sports. It's weird. So I didn't couldn't care less about Field of Dreams, but then, of course, Goodfellas, as we know, because we play clips from it all the time, was so good, and he was so good. And think about that fact that he was so good in a movie with Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro, and the fact that he didn't outlive Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro is really fucked up, that he's like the first one of the cast to die of Goodfellas is really messed up. You would definitely think it would be um, one of the older actors. And quite frankly, everyone I know is dying at the, around the age of 67. So that's not a good sign for anybody turning 67. Um, my friend Victoria told me she was doing, I think I told you, was doing a podcast on 57 and all the people that are dying at 57. So it seems 57 and 67 are very bad ages. Anything with seven is bad news. So if you're 17, 27, 37, you got to uh, be careful. Don't uh, m- make sure you, you walk outside and you look around because uh, things seem to have their bad, uh, unlucky seven. You can say it's lucky number, maybe it ain't so lucky. Anyway, he's, you know, obviously he was so good in Goodfellas, and let, let alone his voiceover work in Goodfellas was good. Was good. That was e- even the best part of the movie. For us to live any other way was nuts. To us, those goody-good people who worked shitty jobs for bum paychecks and took the subway to work every day, worried about their bills, were dead. And they were suckers. They had no balls. If we wanted something, we just took it. If anyone complained twice, they got hit so bad, believe me, they never complained again. It was just all routine, and you didn't even think about it. Because... Even in Casino, what we were talking about last week, Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci do the voiceovers. It's not as good as Ray Liotta's voiceover in Goodfellas. Even Lorraine Bracco's voiceover in Goodfellas is really good, too. What can I say? I was still very attracted to him. I mean, that's good stuff. But his voiceover in that, I'd never heard a voiceover like that before. Everything had always been more like Robert De Niro's in Casino. And at the end, we fucked it all up. And you knew the guys back home were, you know, it was always like this way and that way. But that Ray Liotta kind of changed all that. And he was like, you know, we were like good fellas. We were like guys, you know, wise guys. They used to call, you know, he had he had a lot of fun and youthfulness in his voice. And I'd never seen that in the movies before. 
I mean, I'm sure that was Scorsese's direction, but it was still so good, like as a as a voiceover, something you don't think about that somebody did some really good voiceover work in a movie that you forget even has a voiceover about it because you know you're not thinking about it which of course is why the movie's so genius you don't even think about it if you ever watch this woody allen movie called vicky christina barcelona it's another example of a very interesting voiceover i don't know who the guy is but you should see this movie because it's really very very good javier Bardem. javier uh, the horrible Scarlett Johansson, except uh, she's okay in this movie, but she, oh, she doesn't work for me in the in the least. Uh, the brilliant, the brilliance of Rebecca Hall, uh, who now I hate because she's just so mean to Woody Allen and he's given her nothing but chances. And uh, what, what's that girl? Patsy, uh, not Patsy Klein. What the fuck? I can't, whatever. Really pretty older woman, um, really blonde, beautiful. And anyway, this movie, Vicky Christina Barcelona, is really good, a really good Woody Allen movie that's not, you know, a comedy, and there's a voiceover in it by a guy, and it's just such a basic voiceover. Vicky didn't feel well that day, so she decided to go to the store. You know, like, this, it's just like a voice of God, like he, you know, it's not somebody who's in the cast, it's not somebody narrating it's just, well, I mean, it's somebody narrating, but it's not anybody that's part of the movies, you know, away from it. It's an interesting choice. Juan Antonio took Christina to a wine tasting. After, he took her back to his house, a lovely place he had purchased from another painter years ago and which served as his home and his studio. He showed her his work, which delighted her. She loved the colors and the wild emotional way he applied the paint to the canvases. From there, it was only one floor up to his bedroom. He told her of his marriage to Maria Elena and their deep love and their terrible fights. He told Christina he had not wanted to make love with anyone else in the bedroom they shared till now. To even do a voiceover, but it really works in a completely different way where you have the main character voicing over the legendary opening to Goodfellas, which they some consider one of the top 10 openings in motion picture history up there with the Godfather with um, Bonacera saying, I love America. And I say, come to Don Corleone for justice. How much shall I pay you? Well, when I'm out of respect, but this undertaker says, you never even thought to call me Godfather. And you, you, you come to my house on the day my daughter's to be married and you ask me to commit murder. I ask you for justice. No, 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 your daughter was still alive, so it's not justice. <laughs> anyway, isn't it great that I can make myself laugh like that? I mean, you got to respect it. So that's the best part about uh, Ray Liotta in Goodfellas. So after Goodfellas, I was like all in on this guy. And then I remember uh, he was, I mean, I missed a, a bunch of his stuff, but unlawful entry i remember why i think that's the one what with madeline stowe and i think kurt russell and he plays the crazy cop in that one i must have seen that a dozen times because listen he's really good at playing the lunatic which i think he plays in like every movie so why wouldn't you want to see everything he's in uh i never saw operation dumbo drop could i make fun of it all the time on the tuesday show but i love that he was in a comedy when you're known as like a crazy lunatic and you can get a comedy, well, that's pretty good acting, right? 
So then I'll never forget the Rat Pack movie because he played Frank Sinatra in that. And it was so funny because I kept using those lines from it all the time when I worked with Darren Irisnowski in the, if that's how you pronounce his name, in the, the Wrestler. And I was doing the lines from it with Darren Aronofsky did not find funny. And the guy's like, oh, I love comedy. And I'm like, really? Because you're not getting this gag and it's hilarious. So, yeah, I remember that. I only watched it because Ray Liotta was going to be Frank Sinatra. I'm like, I, I, this, I can't lose. And then I remember he, he was in The Muppets. And I was like really happy about that. Just like a little scene. And then, of course, the movie I watch nonstop, just as much as Goodfellas. But for different reasons, because Goodfellas is 10 times better. But this movie, Hannibal, the sequel, The Silence of the Lambs. Oh, my God. It's so entertaining and so good. And it's, I've, I've talked to you about it before. And his character in it is amazing. And Hannibal Lecter at the end eats his brain. And it's so awesome. And yes, a spoiler alert, but a spoiler alert from 20 years ago. So that's on you. And it's just so, I mean, again, you have to see it and, and see what the way it's done and everything. And it's so, and Ray Liotta's so good in it. And I do lines from him. This is one of those lines I do around the house all the time. This one line, he goes, well, it's not very good, buddy. And uh, I don't know why there's something about that one line that's good. Well, because he's eating his own brain. Like after that, I, I used to always watch this TV show called Just Shoot Me with David Spade and Laura Sangiacomo. I used to with George Siegel, that woman that's in everything, but I don't know, but nobody knows her name. Now she's in Young Sheldon. She was in Hot in Cleveland and Dream On. Been around for years, real thin, pretty tall woman. He So Ray Liotta's in two episodes where he's trying to go out with Laura Sangiacomo and she wants nothing to do with him. And he's playing himself. And that was the best. He's in two episodes. They brought him back because he was so good the first time. And he's just so obsessed with Laura Sangiacomo. It's really funny. That's the kind of stuff they should actually highlight. He's so funny in this TV show. I've mentioned it on a couple of podcasts. And he has this one line I just remember off the top of my head where Laura Sangiacomo is breaking up with him. And he goes, hey, do you remember in Hannibal when Hannibal Lecter ate, made me eat my own brain? And she goes, yeah, well, this is worse. <laughs> And he's like, right, that's the other line I always remember. He goes, whatever her name was in the show, I can't remember. She's like, Laura, I'm not like my character in Goodfellas. I'm much more like my character in Operation Dumbo Drop. I mean, that's funny. And he delivered them funny. And it was really good. And then he's in this movie called Heartbreakers, which I've also seen a hundred times. And for me, he completely makes the movie. It's it's really good. Sigourney Weaver is always really good. She's really so talented. It's her and Jennifer Love Hewitt, who at the time, oh, my goodness. Boy, is she pretty. Uh, and with Sarah Silverman's in it, too. It's weird. And Zach Galifianakis, uh, directed by the great David Merkin, who directed so many Simpsons episodes. So it's really good. I saw it on a plane once, and it was great. Now I've seen it, I don't know, probably 20 times. Mostly at this point, I just watch it for uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. She was really something else. But Ray Liotta is so good in it. And one of his lines, he's like, well, how do you know how to get rid of a body? And he goes, hey, I'm from Jersey. I know something, whatever it is. He's so funny in the movie. He's so good. Although Sarah told me some unfortunate uh, things about working with him just recently. And this is before he died. It was so weird. We were asking her about it. 
I mean, I'm talking about a week ago before he died. She was like, oh, well, he was kind of a scumbag when we were working with him. Now that he's dead, it doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, I don't know whether he's a scumbag, but I think he was look. I think he was I think he was a big drug guy, you know, not that he didn't come off that way anyway. <laughs> so but I don't I was very upset by that because I really, really liked him. But it's not like. I had heard differently from other people uh, about working with him. He was also in this TV show, I remember. Not not the Shades of Blue or something that Dove Davidoff was on, the comedian. And I... Was it Jennifer Lopez? I don't know. But he was in some movie I remember watching because... Oh, that's right. I think it was called Smith. And it was... I, I think they were like criminals. Like, the, you know, he ran an elaborate uh, bank robbing thing or something. I don't know. I think it was supposed to be like Heat or something. And he was like the De Niro character in the movie Heat. And I watched every episode of that because he was in it. Which is why it was funny that I didn't watch... Because you know what? Because that seemed fun. And the other one, even though I love Ray Liotta, like the cop with that. I didn't like that. I don't like cop stuff. I don't know why. But that seemed fun. I guess I like the other... The other ones, you know, lifelong criminal ones sound more interesting. You know, that's why when Billy was on Blue Bloods, I'm like, I've never seen Blue Bloods because I am not interested in Blue Bloods. You know, I love the, the police. I just don't like seeing these phony stories of the police. I don't know why it bothers me so much. But anytime he was in something and, you know, I mean, he was even in Hannah Montana and stuff. I love that he was in just stuff and he would do stuff and again i don't know whether he was difficult to work with or not because you always do wonder why he probably didn't get uh more work i mean even though he did but not more bigger stuff especially after goodfellas he's a major loss and i i was always really kind of hoping to to meet him one day I was uh, always hoping that was uh i don't know that i'd somehow run into him and i mean it's not like uh it hasn't happened with other things. I mean, I've certainly met a lot of the people I never thought I was going to meet in my life, so I just figured maybe someday along the way we would meet. I never thought, I mean, I thought for sure he'd be alive for another 20 years. But if he was, uh, you know, doing all this uh, drugs and stuff, I don't know. Who knows? Hey, it's hard to say. Hey, 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 how you doing? All right, you doing okay? Speaking of people dying, since it's been a week like that, I'm not talking about the Texas thing because that is fucking, oh, I got to tell you, I mean, I saw it with everybody. I mean, that just, boy, that, that that bothered me. You remember that stuff? Does I'm like, I don't know where that is. I don't know any of those people, but that and the Sandy Hook, you know, picturing that guy shooting kids. I mean, what the fuck? And the mother's like, oh, I'm sure he had his reasons. I'm like, put her in jail. Put her in jail. It's really bad that the people can't get along to i i don't know whether gun controls the answer but whatever rifle he was using it just shouldn't exist but who knows what to say and what to do i'm watching the mets game yesterday and they have a thing before the thing you know one of those stupid a moment of silence how's that going to be helpful that that kind of shit just drives me insane I don't want to know about it before I'm watching the game. I know. Do we need to know more? What can I do? What can I do to help? There's crazy people out there. And apparently, as you're hearing all this stuff, the cops weren't ready and they bungled a bunch of stuff. Oh, how do you bungle that? Man, that is not cool. And the weird part is, you figure in Texas, everybody's armed. That's what they're known for. Everybody has heat. 
How is there nobody at that school that's carrying a gun? Why isn't the janitor carrying a gun? I, I thought everybody in Texas just carries around assault weapons all the time. How does something like that happen in Texas when everyone's armed? They make fun of it on The Simpsons all the time. That's the question. But some of these stories, oh, it's awful. And then you're looking at yourself. I'm like, and now we're watching this Johnny Depp and Amber Heard thing. Is this necessary? But you know what? It is necessary. We need that. You're like, these fucking they're uh, filing for $50 million, $100 million. You're like, you fucking selfish pricks. But the fact of the matter is we need that. We need that trial to just get out of our heads. We need something brilliant like that where it's just stupid and this Amber Heard is a moron and she's making Johnny Depp, who's a wackadoodle himself, look good. Boy, you really got to be psychotic to make that happen. And that's all she's apparently been doing in that case. And she's so pretty. But all she has to do is sit there and dress up nice and look good probably. And people would be like, I don't know. I like her. But uh, apparently she's just a, a, a true lunatic. Like he, it turns out he was right. That's insane. I guess we'll find out on Tuesday. Too bad. I, I should have a breaking news report on Tuesday. Well, I will when we have the Tuesday show. We'll see how that goes. I was when I was talking about people dying. I'm talking about you know I went to this guy Dan Vitali's funeral on Sunday, and boy, I took a bunch of pictures on that. You'll be able to see on the bonus content if you are a, a ten dollar Patreon subscriber. And oh boy, what a, it was just right out of Broadway, Danny Rose. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that Woody Allen movie, but I was talking about it so much. I made Marina watch it, Marina Franklin, the other day, and she loved it, which made me so happy. She goes, oh, I've never seen that. I'm like, oh, you got to, especially as a comedian, you have to see it. It's so it's funny as hell, but it's also depressing because it's just sad. There's sadness to it, but, you know, it's also funny. And I mean, this was like at the end of Broadway, Danny Rose, this Woody Allen plays this really bad manager. He handles horrible acts. And uh, that this is what it was. It was all the horrible acts that me and David Tell kind of started out with. It's funny because even I'm in a better place than most of these people that were there. I guess they're about 10, 15 years older than us, most of the people we got there. It was at that West Bank Cafe where I'm planning on uh, doing a, a show. The restaurant where uh, you know I'm friends with the owner and uh, Vincent and I sometimes eat there. And they that's where they had the memorial, like upstairs. They even have a theater space downstairs, but they just had a memorial upstairs while people were eating. It was very strange. But I walked in and it's like, oh, my God, all these people are old. I mean, they're probably just 10 years older than me, but they look like they're 20 to 30 years older. And I guess I don't think of myself, even though I make fun of myself being older and I am. Um, I don't. And, and like Sarah even said, I don't think of you as an older person when I was uh, possibly going to get that part in her show. And I certainly don't come across that way in a way. I mean, I do sometimes when I, you know, if I talk like this and the certain things I do, I don't know. Should we really be out this late? Uh, I'm going to have to return these hors d'oeuvres. They are not correct. You did not make this martini correct. But besides that, I'm, you know, have a, I feel youthful exuberance about me, I suppose, in many ways. Uh, certainly my... Um, Late night antics out would say, uh, "Why you know, you, you seem youthful, even though you like to complain like an old man. But I've been complaining like an old man since I was 10. So that's just a Dave Juscott thing. 
But these people really look old and, you know, out of shape. And I, I was like the thinnest one there. So think about that. And I've been gaining nothing but weight, which is brilliant. <laughs> but, yeah, it was really weird. They had, you know, a lot of, like, Goombas, Moose and Rocco's. And now we're going to introduce Moose. And here's Rocco. And they're going to talk about Dan Vitale. And I'm like, Dan was a great guy. I'll tell you this. He was the greatest piece of ass. I, I mean, it was really funny. All these, it was just Italians and Jews and the biggest of Italians and the biggest of Jews. <laughs> like it, there was, and there was not a woman in sight. The owner comes up to me and goes, hey, where are the chicks? And I'm like, that's, a, that's an excellent question. The girl that put it together, who Dan was kind of living with, but not romantically, was the only girl there. And she looked like somebody's grandmother. She's very kind, but you know what I'm saying. So there were there were no chicks, and I told Chris Murphy, my friend who I went with, who was much closer to Dan than I was. I said, "Listen, uh, I really believe at my funeral there will be a lot of young girls. I would really like to think <laughs> that I have done everything correctly at this point, where there will be a lot of young hot girls at my funeral." So I believe that that is a, fu a funeral you, you're going to want to attend. So that's something, right? So we have that to look forward to. And that's a real thing. I mean, if this was sad in so many different ways. I mean, it wasn't sad, sad. You know, I mean, the guy wasn't in the best of health or anything. But the people just talking were just sad. And then this guy, Michael Sergio... Now, you're not going to know him. I, I sent a picture to Dave Elliott, and he didn't even write back. I'm like, what the hell's the matter with you? Uh, this guy parachuted into Shea Stadium during the Mets-Red Sox World Series. I believe it was game six. I think he parachuted in on game six as if that game couldn't be more legendary. Boy, this crowd came here to make some noise tonight. at Shea Stadium. Well, he took the expression, why don't you drop by, literally and figuratively. That's about the only way to beat the traffic in this town. <laughs> One ball and everybody got a kick out of it. One and all, the count to Bill Buckner. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> Wally Backman almost jumped out of his uniform when that man came down in front of him at second base. And why not? Oh, are they up Saturday night at Shea? Uh, he parachuted in. He got arrested. But this guy was gorgeous, I, I, you know, because he was a soap opera star. And he parachuted into Shea Stadium. It's a legendary story. And he don't look that way no more. Uh, just tell you, I took a picture of him talking. He's, he's what, he must have gained 200 pounds. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. I actually thought it was the guy who died because he looks just like him. And this guy was a soap opera star. So, yeah, he spoke, and it was exciting because, you know, I mean, there's the guy who was, he was in game six, <laughs> technically. And then this guy, Howard Feller, who I was always hoping to never see again in my lifetime. This guy, <laughs> he got up. He's so weird looking. Oh, he's in that movie um, that I always watch, Kate and Leo. He plays like a, you know, a lunatic, a, a mental institution, because that's the only thing he can play. Because you look at him, and you're like, wow, what a weirdo. And he's a weirdo. And he used to be John Stewart's sidekick on John Stewart's MTV show. And Howard Stern, I'll remember he was the first guest, and he goes, So what are you? Like, you're retarded, right? And Howard's just like, he was like, they, John Stewart made him the announcer as a gag. 
And because we all knew Howard Feller from, you know, stand up and he just made him the announcer as a gag because he's a weirdo, you know, like a Howard Stern weirdo, like a rat pack, like a, a whack packer. And he, he's just like he's he's like, but no, you're retarded, right? You are retarded, right? <laughs> he just kept telling him, but no, you really are retarded. I'm just I'm just asking you. I, first of all, and I don't mean to be I don't mean to offend you. Are you supposed to be retarded? <laughs> Is he retarded? No. Oh, wait a second. No, you have to accept people who are different. No, the, the premise is I don't mean I'm not trying to offend you oh, or anything I'm like that. I'm glad about that. I, hold on, hold on a I'm second. I'm saying though you're supposed yeah, yeah. to be like no, no, John, be honest. You you have him as the announcer because he's funny. I have him as my announcer. He's very funny and he's a fine friend of and, mine. And his name is Corky. No. <laughs> no, his name is Howard also. His name is, is uh... Your name is Howard, my name is Howard, the guy on before me was Howard. Yeah. Right. It's, it's an amazing show. show. It's- it was really funny, and he was there, and he got up, and people just started laughing as soon as he got up, which is what his entire act is about. And if he could have continued, but the problem is the guy can't continue. So he, he got up and everybody's just laughing and clapping because he's so stupid looking. And he's like, oh, th- thank you, thank you. And that made us laugh even harder and then he just can't contain it. He was like pretty much doing his act and he just can't contain it. And then there was this guy, Bobby Finelli, I think. Is that his name? Finelli? I think it is. And I'd known him for years. He was on The Sopranos. He hung himself in the TV show, The, Par- the Sopranos. He, I, don't, I don't remember his character in The Sopranos. He was in a couple episodes, but he hung himself. Really great guy. And he was there and he looked good. And he looked good. He was old. Oh, he looked really good. He looked good. I was happy for him. And the guy that was kind of running it was this guy. Well, there was the two guys. This guy, Randy Credico, who really looks like this one character, Barney Dunn in Broadway, Danny Rose, really pathetic and sad. All right. All right. You want to know who it is? Should I, you want, should I tell you who it is? Should I say? It's Barney Dunn. Who's Barney Dunn? Come on. Who is it? Danny, you rat. Shut up. Listen, listen, I don't owe you anything over this. Fellas, I swear my I swear my life, it's Barney Dunn and and Barney, may God forgive me. Who? Barney Dunn. I remember Barney Dunn. Barney Dunn. Yeah. Barney Dunn. I can't hear you. Barney Dunn was the world's worst ventriloquist. If they couldn't get an animal act, they would call Barney Dunn. Barney would work children's parties. Five-year-old kids would boo him. But he ran for mayor. Um, a couple years ago, <laughs> which was really funny. So he's always in a jacket and tie. And it was a 90-degree day, so that was weird. And this guy, Bill Sheft, who I don't know whether I ever met, but I remember him being a big comic when Dave and I were just starting out. And he used to w- write for The Letterman Show, and he used to warm up the audience before our friend Eddie Brill did that. So he had been around for years, but I just never met him before. But I knew his wife, this girl, Adrian. There was all these connections that I hadn't known for years. And she was terrific. And she died. And he was very upset by it. They were married for a long time. And um, she died of, I guess, cancer. And so I didn't know that. Uh, but he was great. And he looks good. And he was really nice. So there was one normal people person there, which was this guy, Bill Sheff. And uh, thank goodness. And Atel came, too. And, you know, he was just sitting outside for a while and, you know, everybody gets obsessed with him because, 
Well, it's a lot like Spinal Tap, where they run into Howard Hessman, and he's with somebody really good, and they're like, oh, where are you playing? Oh, the Enormo Dome, and... You know, these are all like comics. They're like, oh, Dave, how, where you been playing this week? He's like, oh, you know, the enormo dog. I mean, Dave's that guy. But nobody bothered him, and it was nice of him to show up, and then he left in the middle because, you know, he can't hang out that long. But it was really cool that he came. Not that he really needed to because Dan's dead and everybody else there doesn't give a shit. And my friend Bob Greenberg was there, and I was, I, it was so funny. When I went there, I'm like, I remember, oh, that's right. I went out to take the scooter, and there was no... Vespas, there was no electric city bikes, and I didn't want to get sweated up before I got. I had to take an Uber. I was furious. But I didn't want to get sweated up when I get there. And this guy, Bob Greenberg, I was thinking, I'm like, oh, God, I bet you Bob Greenberg is going to be completely sweaty when he gets in there. He was totally sweaty, and he's wearing shorts and a t shirt. I'm like, way to go. And he was so sweaty and so gross. And I was like worried about seeing him. I was like, I guess I got to hug him. And I was thinking about that before. But I mean, you know, I've known Bob for years, but. We Chris Murphy and I really wanted him to do because Dan used to love his, you know, we 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 love to I don't want to say hate him, but we love the fact that he he does Laurel and Hardy imitations and Abbott and Costello and just old fashioned imitations. So I remember Dan Vitali, the, the guy who's dead, you know, when we was at the improv, Bob would sometimes go on stage late at night. And Chris would go to him like, hey, like he's like, oh, I'm tired. I just want to eat my sandwich. I've been waiting for the sandwich all day. And he goes, hey, Bob Greenberg's going to do um, Oliver Hardy. And he, and he runs to get a sandwich to walk in. We all loved watching him do that stuff because, again, like a prop comic, somebody has to be that guy. <laughs> so why not this guy, Bob Greenberg? I mean, you got, I know I've talked about him before. You got to look him up online. Bob Greenberg, he says this thing in Coney Island what he did, and he goes, and he's just, everything about him is old fashioned. He goes, ladies and gentlemen, for my next imitation, <laughs> everything about him is a mess. It's so funny. He goes, what I'd like to do is, this is Oliver Hardy on the sex line. When nobody else is, I, I can't even do the imitation, but then then he finishes the imitation, this isn't his act, and he goes, thank you. For my next act, <laughs> everything he does is old-fashioned but like i said that's the best part about bob greenberg it is really funny so that's the kind of people that were at this goddamn thing and like i said i took some pictures and everything and i guess i'm gonna tell you this yeah i'm gonna tell you this one thing about dan vitale we liked each other very much you know and and you know i'll tell you two things this fucking pisses me off. There's an actress out there, and I talked about her on my podcast about two, three years ago. Her name is Charlene Yee, I believe. She's uh, an awful comic or some like an alternative artist and an actress, and she's the worst person ever. Because a few years ago, you know, I don't know what her story is, but she was meeting Dave Cross uh, in a maybe a green room at a comedy club, and Dave Cross is a legendary comic at least for me and, and most people, you know, Mr. Show with Bob and Dave, I mean, he's been around for a long time and he's fantastic. And he's in an amazing episode, uh, a couple episodes of Just Shoot Me, uh, playing the brother or somebody who's really great. And we've been friends for a long time and I just think he's the funniest guy. I mean, he really is like a, a genius. He's a comic genius. Uh, some people might tell you otherwise, but I believe he really is very smart and and a comic genius. I mean, I, I do not like to throw those words around, but I believe he is. And 
he comes to this club and he, this girl, he meets this girl, Charlene, and he goes, how you doing? And she knows who he is and she's enamored with him. And uh, she doesn't say anything because she's like, you know, a little starstruck. And so he goes, oh, what's the matter? You don't speak? And then he goes, a ching chong chong ching chong chong. <laughs> Which is, you know, yes, is it racist? Is it awful? Yes, but these are comedians. A comedian talking to another comedian and she called the papers and said, this is what he did to me. And what she's missing, this fucking entitled little prick, is that that is the sign of what comics do to each other and how you're welcome into the community. If, if it's a legend, if, if it's a douchebag comic, if it's somebody just starting out, they're fucking assholes. But if you're a legend, the, the way you're in is getting picked on and, and people making fun of you. And, and that is what brings you in. And if you can take it, you're going to make it in this business. Well, she shouldn't be in this business. And the reason I bring it up again today is because I can't tell you the situation, but apparently this happened one month ago to a friend of mine. This same asshole called out one of my friends in a movie for doing the not, and I'm telling you, it was totally acceptable. It's not just Dave just got judging. It's just something that comics uh, fooling around. And she called like HR. This woman is awful and should not be in comedy. Charlene Yee, I believe that's her name. I really just hate her. I just, you just can't be a comic and go around complaining about other comics. You, you can't be a comic. If, if you're a, an audience member, I get it. You know, these people that, that, that you know, this horrible Will Smith and the guy that was, I mean, I, I hate it, but I get it, whatever, you know, you're taking offense. But if you're another comic... And, and these are legends that are making fun of you. I, grow a fucking pair. And that's me saying that. You know, and like I've always said, the reason why people like me in the comedy community is because as much as I dish it out to people, and you know I do, I can take it. I'm really good at taking insults from people. People make fun of me all the time. They've been making fun of me my whole life. It really slides off me. It some, doesn't bother me. It's somebody who's not in comedy, who's not great, who's not a great comic that really would make an impact. You know, if, if for some reason Catalina from Chile came to New York and just said, oh, Jesus Christ, I didn't realize you were that bald, that would be disturbing. <laughs> but if, you know, this guy Dan Vitale or um, Colin Quinn said it, I would, I would think it was great. Because these guys are, they're great at what they, when Rachel makes fun of me nonstop, it's fucking awesome. Rachel's a fucking professional comic. It's a goddamn honor to be made fun of. And this is what Dan used to do to me and he used to do to everybody. And then I was like, hey, I'm in. So this Charlene Yee, this is what makes her a horrible person. Let me tell you something about Dan Vitale. I, you know what? I don't want to tell you this story only because I've never told it to, I've only told, only like two people know about it. I don't know if I can bring it up. It's it's a it's an unfortunate. It's a story for me that I I can't. It it makes me so upset. It's the reason I never really went into comedy full force. And it's hard for me to. I can't tell you the background. I'm not ready. I know. And the story begins in 1988 or 89. But this horrible thing happened to me on the road once with this awful awful comic that i hate more than anything in the whole world and i can't believe he's still alive 
because I thought by now he would have died of AIDS. I really fucking hate him. His name is Maurice. I'll just tell you, I fucking couldn't care less. He's a black guy. That doesn't really matter. Well, actually, it fits into the story a little bit. And I, he just did something so horrible, and I'll, maybe another day I can tell you, but right now I, I, it, it, it brings up too many fucked up things in my life. It's that bad, right? So Dan Vitale knew the story and knew what happened and knew how much I hated this guy, and I hate that he's still alive. And it just with all these great people dying and this fucking scumbag is still alive. It drives me insane. But one time we were at the improv together and Dan knew, you know, what this guy did and how much it, it hurt me and messed me up. And Dan just ripped the shit out of this guy one night when we were outside the improv. He let him have it. And he goes, look at you, you piece of shit. Like He just laced into him. And the guy didn't know how to handle it. He just kept smiling. And he goes, oh, look at you. All you can do is just smile? What are you, a fucking idiot? You're just sitting there smiling like an asshole, you fucking prick? Oh, my God. It made me so happy. He just laced in him, into him, and he did it for me. I'm almost in tears thinking about it because I can't believe he's dead. I'll never forget that. He went to bat for me and stuck up for me for this prick, something I couldn't do myself, and just laced into him one night. I mean, I couldn't even repeat the insults he laced upon. You unfunny, untalented fuck. Look at you, you fucking piece of shit. It was a barrage. And this guy, Maurice, had nothing to say back. Nothing to say. He couldn't believe he was getting both barrels from this guy. He was just laughing, thinking he was kidding. He's like, I'm not kidding with you. You are a piece of shit. Oh, I think Chris Murphy was there. I think he saw the whole thing too. I couldn't have been happier after this guy left. I just went and Dan, I gave him this hug. I'm like, I, I don't know what to say. You are the fucking man. Nobody could ask for a better friend than that. I mean, that was the one, all the stuff I wanted to say to the guy that I could never say. And it was great. It was, it was like veiled under comedy at first. And then he goes, no, I'm not being funny. I'm serious, you piece of shit. It was fucking awesome. And so from then on, I just thought Dan Vitale was the fucking greatest, let alone his joke. Oh, they were just going over this unbelievable joke that, uh, you know, he was known for kind of the way with Chappelle. I'm known for this like chef thing. He He was known for this guy that, you know, was the I, I've told you once before a little bit about him, you know, uh, paraphrasing just he's a guy, he's a school, he's like in Oklahoma, and he's like, oh, he's going to be big, he's going to be a big star, this guy's going to make it, this guy's going all the way. And then, of course, he comes to New York, he spends all the money he has, comes to New York, and he gets this audition and uh, doesn't realize uh, it's like apparently for gay porn. <laughs> the guy's like, all right, so just, um, you know, just uh, start, um, you know, blowing this guy. So <laughs> he goes, well, what's my motivation? Because he's like a serious actor. And he's like, your motivation? Uh, well, you um, like the company of other men. You uh, are, you know, attracted to... But you, you like cock, okay? Uh, just, I, I don't know how else to put it. You like a lot of cock. And um, and then, of course, the ending is when he's blowing the guy. He's, he looks up to the camera and then the guy, I guess the guy... <laughs> it's so gross he's you know he finishes and he's like i'm ready for my close <laughs> and it was like his legendary joke but oh uh, he was a he was a, a good guy he had a lot of demons uh but he was always nice to me 
And he picked on me a lot. Murphy told the story. I told him not to tell it. I said, nobody knows who I am at this party, at this party, at this funeral. But he told the story. We were at Caroline's and we were working. It was me and Bonnie McFarlane and Mark Cohen and Daryl Hammond and this girl, Adrian, who, you know, is now dead. Um, all the biggies, like, at that time in the 90s. And somehow I was involved and my friend Danny Vermont and I were there. And Dan got up and Dan was in it too. And he goes, I just have one question for everybody. And I think everybody's thinking it. Why the fuck is Dave Juskow here? And, uh, you know, again, it was really funny and everybody laughed and I didn't take any offense to it. In fact, I was thrilled that he mentioned my name at all. And it was funny and everybody always picks on me that way. And I was thinking myself, why am I here? So he understood and he didn't do it to me. Later he goes, "Uh, you know, now I feel bad. I'm like, are you kidding? That was hilarious. And that's the kind of guy he was. He would always take the risk, and that's what made him so goddamn cool. But unfortunately, he just couldn't put it together. I think I told you, uh, you know, after he had his Coke and beer and he was trying to put himself together, uh, Brett Butler, who was a comic who was making it herself really big. She was, you know, she had a big ABC TV show. She finally got to play Madison Garden, Square Garden. Now she's a mess. She's even worse off than Dan at this point, if you look her up. But... At the time, she was doing great. She, you know, won the hearts of America with her southern droll. And she asked Dan to open for him, and he never showed up. At the Garden. Can you imagine? You get a second chance. You got to take it. Make your move. Sometimes you got to say, what the fuck? But he will be missed. Maybe we hadn't seen each other in a while, but it was... uh, Kept tabs on him through other people, made sure he was doing okay. And if we did run into each other, it was really great to see each other. And he always made me laugh. And I think one time, I think I told you we were at this place. I took a picture of it the other day on the bonus show, this place, the Italian Village. And we were there with um, all these Italian guys, me and my friend Chris Murphy. We were there with him and uh, Rich Francesi, uh, (laughs) Bobby Finelli, (laughs) the Italian Village. And Dan was reading from this script and we were dying laughing oh my god i was laughing so hard i mean i am an easy audience sometimes but this guy was genuinely funny it wasn't just the the laughing like the uh ray liotta character in goodfellas which sometimes i'll do uh, because i'm afraid of the person making the joke if it's not like a real comedian like the first time i met my old girlfriend's brother and he didn't know i was there to meet his sister maybe he did and he was telling these jokes, and they weren't funny, and I was just laughing just like Ray Liotta because that's the right thing. <laughs> Doing that stupid laugh because you're terrified. So Ray Liotta also taught us how to laugh. <laughs> Look, it came back. But he did uh, because that's a smart move. You, you don't, you know, you got, you want to go, you know, and not, let alone just the fact that I was trying to date a sister, and of course, that night, we go up to their hotel room because I met her at a wedding or something. And he goes, you know what? I like you. I'm going to let you fuck my sister. I'll never forget that. <laughs> that he knew this guy was really out of his mind. But um, not a bad fellow. But, um, you know, one of those guys where you're like, wait, is he going to headbutt me if I don't laugh? You know, like you know what I'm saying? One of those guys, especially when they've been drinking. So a lot of times I'll do that laugh. You ever see me do that laugh? I don't think you're funny. Okay? Because you'll know when I think you're funny. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say Dave Elliott, when sometimes when we're down at the beach, uh, you know, that guy that, that sells meat. 
that Italian guy that always comes and he sells meat. I think I do that to that guy because he's terrifying and he, has, and he has horrible jokes and he's not funny at all. <laughs> you want to do that laugh. Hey, you stuttering prick. You may fold under questioning, Henry. Oh, God, he's so good in that scene. I know Joe Pesci's good, but as long as we're talking about Ray Liotta today, let's talk about Ray Liotta. It's just like the same thing. It's like you're talking about Abbott and Costello, right? So Lou Costello is so funny back in the day. And Abbott gets no credit. But without Abbott, without a straight guy, Lou Costello ain't funny. So you need him, but you forget sometimes. Sometimes we would forget how funny Dan Aykroyd was because he was always with Belushi and he was always the serious one. But you got to have a straight man. You got to be able to play straight sometimes because that's what makes somebody super funny. So... I remember they were talking about like, you know, Tom Cruise got overlooked a lot in Rain Man because Dustin Hoffman's performance was so insane and so unbelievable that you forget, geez, you know, Tom Cruise is really good in this movie as kind of this this brother and this straight man, for lack of a better word. And that's the funny thing. you We forget in that legendary Goodfellas scene where Joe Pesci is... Uh, you know, telling a joke and, and Ray Liotta's laughing, we know how unbelievable Joe Pesci is. But then when you, I mean, Ray Liotta's got to be the straight guy and, and, and he's, he's terrified too and this is his pal. And he's like, what, well, you know, just the, the way you tell a joke, you know, you're, you're funny. No, I, I don't know. How am I funny? I just, the, you know, just the, the way you tell a story. You're good at telling a story. And then, and then of course, when he, you know, figures it out, the pause. And then the, you know, where he's just like, get the fuck out of here, Tommy. He's like, I had you going, you fucking prick. And then he starts laughing like that again. And the way he's holding his chest and every, like he's, he's making these things with his arms. Like he's, it, it's, 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 it's really you, you forget how good, again, we've talked about how everyone else is good in that scene too. How there's another guy who's, you know, when it first starts over and people stop laughing because they're like, wait, is this serious? He goes, no, Tommy, you got it all wrong. No, he's a big boy. He's a big boy. He could figure it out. You know, he's a big boy, Nick. He could figure it out. And that scene, the other actors, it's even harder for them to act because we know Joe Pesci is doing the easy part in a way, even though it's brilliant. The rest of the actors have to somehow have their faces turn from laughter to seriousness or not knowing what's going on. That's really good acting too. But again, Ray Liotta is so good. So good in that. He will be sorely missed as well. Anyway, on Sunday at the funeral, I'm at this place, the West Bank Cafe. And I don't want to make fun of the West Bank Cafe. I don't want to do it. I like the owner. I like that place a lot. I want it to survive. But I went in and I said, can I get a beer? Right, and I'm really down low on money, so I just had some cash left. And I said, uh, "Can I get a beer?" And I gave him a twenty dollar bill, and then he gave me all this change back. And I'm like, "What the?" F-? He's like, "That's eight dollars." And I'm like, "Great, I'll leave him two dollars." I would assume I get a ten back, but then he gave me all this change and coins, and I'm like, "What the fuck is this?" And he goes, well, you know, with tax. And I'm like, with tax? What are you talking about? He's like, well, it's 812. And I'm like, what the, f- who the fuck charges? What are you talking? I, he's like, oh, we're not used to getting cash. I'm like, but with cash, there shouldn't be any 
tax issues. I can understand if you're charging me on the card. Boy, I was so angry because that didn't make any sense. And I'm sure this all has to do with COVID. But it's like anytime you go to a bar and you usually use cash and the beer is eight, it's usually just eight. I I know it sounds weird, right? Everything should be taxed. But usually bartenders, they it's eight. A beer is always a single dollar value. It's never seven fifty. It's always four dollars, five dollars, six dollars, and then you get money back to get change. I mean, you're just fucking yourself over as a bartender because now I'm going to leave you a dollar and seventy five cents because I'm going to take the ten. I was furious, and I told this guy, "I'm like, I don't understand." Uh, and again, I guess that's what I do, but that is weird, right? Or am I just completely wrong on this? I was really upset about it because I, I, I've, I've never seen go to a bar and you give cash and getting change back. It's just not, oh, we're not used to cash. And I'm like, we're not used to cash. I bought one beer. What the fuck is the matter with you? I mean, normally I don't even use cash. I usually use a credit card. And maybe we've never noticed before that they're taxing, but I've, I know even at the bar that I go to down in the West Village, they always tell me they have to charge you tax if you're using a credit card. But I wasn't using a credit card. I think this bartender is just a piece of shit. So I was pretty angry about that, but I did let that go, if you can believe it. And then, since we were right in the neighborhood, we were going to go to this diner, which Dan, uh, which we all went to during the improv days when the improv was right across the street, the legendary comedy improv. That I don't mind telling you, and I don't know whether I told this story. The woman that ran that improv was a piece of shit. Her name was Silver Friedman, and her husband was Bud Friedman, and he invented the improvs and owned them all, especially the one in L.A. She was just the worst person ever to run a comedy club. She didn't know funny. She knew nothing, and she was just a major twat. I mean, the worst person And she hated me. I mean, absolutely hated me. I had an audition there once, and she hated me for whatever reason. I I did something one day, or I got blamed for something one day, and I auditioned. And not only, I don't think I told you that when Johnny Carson used to call people over the catch, he'd wave them over if they were going to call the catch. So when you auditioned, she was in the room watching, And then you'd go over and you'd look at her and she'd hopefully sit you down. For me, she waved away. And the guys at the improv thought that was the funniest thing ever. The guys that worked there. And I'm like, you're not going to believe that they made fun of me for years for that because it was hilarious. And I knew I would never work there because she was just a horrible, horrible human being. It wasn't just me. She didn't know comedy. There was an example we were just talking about on Sunday that she didn't find somebody funny but she found this other person like she just didn't know comedy like somebody said you gotta see this guy Richard Pryor he's funny it was somebody as big as that where she's like I'm sorry I don't see it and she ran the club into the ground ran it into the ground if if um she won the club in a divorce so she was never supposed to run a comedy club and she ran this wonderful club that's depicted on Seinfeld into the ground and then finally lost it. And somehow she's still alive. And I just absolutely hate her. And the worst part is she has a daughter who is a delight and I have been friends with for so many years and I love her to death. I forget that this was her mother. 
I, I, I just always forget. I can't make the connection because her mother was despicable. And everyone knew it. And so one time we were outside the gong show. We were working in L.A. with David Tell, the gong show. And I was outside in the parking lot with her daughter. I think we were getting high. And I go, hey, you remember that cunt that used to work the improv? <laughs> and she goes, you mean my mother? And I'm like, no, the... Uh, 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 crap. <laughs> there was nothing I could say. I totally forgot. I can't put the two of them together. Her daughter is the sweetest person, and we've really been close and friendly for so long. I just don't... It doesn't make sense to me, and I forget sometimes. Oh, that was the worst. You mean my mother? No, I... I'm. Uh, there was no way out. There was no way out. The deed had already been done. No, I mean that... What I need now is a distraction. And then a blimp crashed into the parking lot. Well, that'll do. Boy, what I would give for a streetcar. (laughs) And then a boat comes by. But at this time, a boat will do. That's all Bugs Bunny stuff. So long, Sam. See you in 20 years. And what are you doing here? Oh, uh, me? Well, uh, uh, I'm waiting for a streetcar. Oh, yeah. But in a spot like this, a boat will do. But so we were going to go to this diner we used to go called the Westway Diner, which is still uh, around. It's not the same anymore. God, we used to know everybody in there. We used to sit there all the night long, and Dan used to hold court there, and we used to laugh and laugh. It was fucking awesome being a comic or whatever I was uh, at that time or being included in that thing because I love to laugh. I love to laugh. I mean, it really was terrific at 3 in the morning having that many laughs is something I uh, couldn't predict my life would be where I'm like, boy, this is really fun. I know the funniest people on the planet. I really do. To this day, it's fantastic, especially for somebody like me that really enjoys laughing a lot and heartily laughing. It's funny for somebody who, you know, suffers from deep depression to laugh so hard often and still have depression. So a lot of times I just think about the jokes I was laughing at when I'm depressed. I'm like, oh, fuck, I forgot about that. That was really funny. Anyway, we wanted to go to that diner, but we thought we'd see these other people and we're like, nah. Meanwhile, it was closed. It was 10 o'clock at night. That place used to be open 24 hours. Goddamn COVID. So we went to the wing place. They used to go Monday, Scruffy Duffy's. So I go to Scruffy Duffy's. I order the wings. The bartender, he's all right. He seems like a troublemaker. And they, the wings were delicious. And I just had a Coke. I didn't want any more beer. For some reason, two beers lately have been, I don't know, who knows. So he gives me, I say, can I have some extra napkins? He gives me cocktail napkins. And then I say, after I'm through, he's like, can I get some more napkins? And he gives me more cocktail napkins. And he didn't ask if they had, I said, well, they must be out of the big napkins. Well, when I went to the bathroom to wash my hands, I saw a huge stack of the regular big dinner size adult napkins. So either this guy didn't like me because I didn't order a drink or he's just a prick and a half. He didn't give me wet naps either. I'm like, where are the wet naps? And I saw a big tub of them right by the bar. So this guy was just an asshole. I took the picture of the big napkin. I put it over the wings just so you could see it. 
Uh, they definitely had. I, I, after he went outside, I went back to the end of the barn. I'm like, look, Murphy, they got the big napkins. What the fuck is the matter with this guy? I was furious. And you know how napkins make me furious. That really bothered me, but I, I let that go too because I say, well, it's off season. If this had happened on a Monday night during football season, I would complain because those guys are, but that wouldn't happen because I love the guys that work on Mondays. This guy seemed like a prick as soon as we walked in, but the wings are delicious. What are you going to do? The wings are goddamn delicious. What can I do? I am only one man. Hi. Can I know you from biology class? Yeah. What can I do for you? Yeah, I had a couple of questions. I was curious. What do you do with the jackets that people leave here? We keep them. You keep them? In case you come back. You can look through it if you want. No, that's cool. It would take too long to look through all that stuff. I'll just, I'll pick up a new one. What was your other question? Oh, uh, my other question is, can I have your phone number so I can ask you out sometime? Do you have a pen? This one's out of ink. Yeah. Stacy. Nice to meet you, Stacy. My name is Mark Ratner. I've got to go. So we're um, at the end of the show, but I I do want to tell you this one thing. I think this is fascinating, and this delves into a little bit what we'll be talking about if you take my course at Montclair State University. I found that the most fascinating thing about the other movie Amy Heckerling directed, uh, the director of Clueless, called Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which, of course, is why I'm fascinated by her because a female director in 1982 is um, quite fascinating. But the man who wrote Fast Times at Ridgemont High, he wrote the book that the movie is based on. His name is Cameron Crowe. He's directed a whole bunch of movies with Tom Cruise, uh, Jerry Maguire, Vanilla Sky, Almost Famous. And what Cameron Crowe did was go undercover as a high school student at 22. He was 22. He went in as a high school student and tried to and pretended to be a 17 year old and then wrote this book uh, and kind of tattled on everybody. It was like an undercover cop, but he was doing this. And I was just reading about this. It's so fascinating. So you can't get a copy of the book anywhere. I don't know why it, it goes on eBay for like 400 bucks. And he did this in, in the summer of 79 or in the summer of 79. He told his editor, he was already, if you, if you know about Cameron Crowe, Almost Famous is based on when he toured with this band as a writer for Rolling Stone at 15. They didn't know he was 15. And he toured with this band. And that's what that movie's based on. So he was a very young-looking kid, but he was uh, a prodigy. So he, I guess his editor set up this thing with the high school. He told the principal for some reason. He said all it took for Crow to convince the principal to let him do it was mentioning that he had met Chris Christopherson. So I don't know what the fuck that's the funniest thing I ever heard. He said, this is what they say. A few of Crow's teachers were in on the scheme, but none of the kids on whom he was actually eavesdropping. You couldn't do this today. He imagines that his classmates probably knew him as the guy with the bad bladder because when Crow heard something juicy at the cafeteria table, he would sneak off to the restroom to write down what he'd overheard. And he said he began to feel like a third-rate spry. But all the people were real. So he goes like, uh, it's a weird thing to to do to people you know and like. Like, he met friends. Like, he, he, you know, he started making friends with these people. He met the girl that plays Stacy, which is uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. 
Stacy's brother Brad and many others I would come to write about. As the year progressed, they became my group, and they were the characters I spent most of my days with. And and he even went to the prom, which now would be illegal, I think. Uh, so at the end of the year, I didn't know anything about this. He came clean, and he let his friends in on the secret. And he said that he thought they'd be angry, but they were like, who would write a book about Ridgemont High, you weirdo? So the only person that was, they, none of them cared, but the only person that wasn't happy about it was Rat, Mark Ratner, or the one who's based on, actually his name is Andy Rathbone, they say his name. And he was the real life kid who was based on Mark Ratner. And it, his gripe was that Rat, that the character was much nerdier than he was in real life. Now, of course, that would be your gripe, right? Of course. And he um, apparently, he's the guy that actually ordered the takeout pizza for the entire classroom, which they gave the Jeff Spicoli character to. So how would you not, if you're based, if you're the character that that nerd is based on, and you actually ordered a pizza for the class, wouldn't you be furious that you didn't even get credit for all that kind of stuff? And he filed a lawsuit on Crow, which he uh, dropped because Cameron Crow gave him one of his wife's guitars. Cameron Crowe's wife is Nancy Wilson from the heart. And then he, and then he shut up. He's like, Oh, all right. But here's the best part, which I didn't know. And I just found out that rat <laughs> Ratner, which makes sense for the fucking character, right? I mean, how dare this guy have gripes, this guy, Andy Rathbone, he went on to write PCs for dummies and the dummies, all those books for dummies, he invented those. So that's exactly what you would have thought Mark Ratner did in the future. So it's so classic. Apparently, Crow was also invited to the high school class reunion, but he declined. He said, I still consider many of these people my friends, and I think most of them feel that way about me, but there are a few who are still upset about the movie, so I think it's just best that I stay away. Remember also with Clueless, Amy Heckerling had somebody go into a Beverly Hills High School and give her information. So she, knowing from what Cameron Crowe did, she pulled a Cameron Crowe. She's like, well, we did this with Fast Times. Let's do this at Clueless. Let's do this with um, uh, you know, a little more upscale school. But in the 90s, I'm going to need more the way people talk. So she set somebody in, but I don't think it was like this. There might have been an actual student or somebody observing the class that they might have even known that somebody was observing, but she did the same thing again. She goes, well, maybe lightning will strike twice, and it did. But boy, you could not do that, what Cameron Crowe did again today. We always talk about that movie. What's that one with Drew Barrymore? Never Been Kissed, where she pretends the same exact thing, pretends to be a high school student for magazines, pulling off the Cameron Crowe thing. But then her brother also comes in and starts dating a 15-year-old gymnast. And you're like, nowadays, you're like, wait a minute. And it's funny that we, again, you know, when we see these things happening to people that happened 30 years ago, you're like, dudes, you got to relax. Times were very different. For some reason, we used to laugh at that. I don't know why. Now I watch it myself and be like, ugh. There's a scene Marina and I were talking about. It's, you know how I feel about Woody Allen. And I don't, I don't ever want to, you know, I, I just refuse to believe any of this stuff until until proven and convicted 
And there's a scene in Broadway, Danny Rose, he just touches, he's with his client's daughter, she's young, and he just touches her for a second. He's like, darling, you're wonderful. And, you know, both Maureen and I both noticed it. And something I never would have even thought twice about beforehand. But now, it's not just Woody Allen. We think about it with everybody. My God, everybody is so sensitive. And that's where you get this horrible Charlene Yee, who, um, you know, is a comic and that's sensitive. And that also happened to uh, Tony Hinchcliffe, who does that unbelievably successful podcast, Kill Tony. Uh, he asked a guy to open for him. The guy ratted him out about saying, like, making fun of him on stage. These new crop of comics coming up so sensitive, it's just bad news, and it led to all this badness. What happened to Chappelle? What happened to Chris Rock? This is what's happening because the comics themselves are growing up so sensitive. My God, why didn't I think about that? That's what the story has to be. Uh, I've been looking for an angle on this comedy story for the uh, magazine, and I keep writing it wrong. That's what it has to be. The comics themselves are coming up too sensitive. Bingo. Maybe I'll even write about that, Charlene. Yeah, maybe I'll take a chance. We'll see. Of course, then they'll have to call her and get a... Well, whatever. Who cares? What an asshole. Well, then I'll get canceled by her. What a horrible human being she is. Whatever. If you get canceled by defending one of your friends, then so be it. Anyway, folks, that's today's episode of a show this Tuesday. Um, we might be in studio possibly doing a, a birch beer root beer test. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Either way, the show will be on. Usual time, 6 o'clock on Tuesday night. Uh, Billy Joel this week. What do we got coming out? Uh, oh, it's awful. Uh, is it sh- Shameless? Yeah, Shameless. Ugh. And then uh, She's Only a Woman. So that one's okay. Uh, other than that, really uh, nothing going on. Just I hope everybody had a good Memorial Day weekend, and we'll see you next week on another epic episode of Just Gal in the City. Good night, everybody. (laughs) 